episode 48 of Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Robin B. And I'm Willow Rao. You know what I've noticed, Willow? <laughs> what? It's that when we do our intros, when you say, I'm one of your hosts, Willow Rao, I say, I'm your other host, Robin B. And you and just I say, just... and I'm Willow Rao. I'm just here. I'm not a host. I'm just hanging out. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> you say, I'm one of your hosts when it's your intro. I don't know. I guess I, I think, just, I don't really know. I feel like the audience can assume that I'm the other host, not that I'm yeah, just some it rando. Obvious. It's true. You're not just here. I think we started doing that on like our first episode because we were nervous and didn't know how to host a podcast, uh, unlike mm-hmm. now where we're so good at this. <laughs> and I think it just, stu- it just became in my brain the thing that we do. Mm-hmm. And I just, I guess it didn't for you. Oh, okay. So you're saying that I didn't learn. No, I'm saying that I I cling to comfort like oh, a okay. baby quokka. <laughs> and I just need to keep some things, I need to keep the ritual intact. And, uh, and uh, like me, I am an adult quokka and I <laughs> drop my baby and I move you on. Throw me at a hyena at the first sign of danger. This may or may not set, make sense later. Yeah, give it about an hour, and you might understand what that means. Oh man! Oh. So what's up, Robin? Any any news to share? Uh, yeah, I went to brunch this morning. It was really nice. Uh, I met some cool people. Uh, that's about all I can think of. What about you? No, <laughs> you're being so difficult. Uh, yeah. There. Okay. There's news. So, uh. Big news for Willa. Uh, she is very fortunate to have a new coworker, uh, Inverse, as of yeah. this Monday. I have mixed feelings about this broad, but uh, Willa seems to think she's okay. You're not going to play with me? I don't know. I'm just, I'm excited. And <laughs> okay. you're, trying to, you're trying to talk around it, but I think it's great. Robin is back at Inverse. She is back until we all get laid off again. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, my my goal for this this time is to make it twenty five months, mm-hmm. which will then set a new record for the longest I have gone without being laid off. Really hoping it works out. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to November of twenty twenty five when I'll be looking for work again, presumably. Listen, I am legitimately so excited. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you're gonna be back and that we're gonna be like, Working together in a official context? Yes, we're work wives again. No, I'm excited too. I'm also just uh, sleepy. I had my last shift at my old job yesterday, and I had one day to rest, and then I'm going back at it. I've also been freelancing for Inverse the past couple of weeks, so it's it feels a little bit less like a like totally new thing starting. And also, obviously, I worked at Inverse before, so I mm-hmm. it's, it's not a totally new thing starting. But it is very exciting. Uh, I'm excited to have a job for one thing and then it's this job in particular yeah. uh just makes it extra extra nice yeah so i'm just looking forward to being back there and being able to write and this time i'm actually officially on the gaming team i know you used to just be our our little orphan that we claimed yeah last time i was just a little orphan robin um i was doing card stories which now apparently are extinct <laughs> uh just like the quagga and uh, I would just do a lot of gaming stories because that was the only thing I actually know about. Yeah, this time I'm I'm back on um, I'm on the gaming team for real. 
Uh, shout out to Joseph. <laughs> Thanks for uh, getting a new job so I could have yours. That just means now girl mode essentially runs in versus gaming uh, coverage. It's yes. us and Hayes. And Sorry, will, Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to bully Hayes so much. Yeah. Slack is going to get so intolerable for you. So yeah. sorry. But yeah, I'm back. Don't really have um, plans as of yet for like big projects, but I'm looking forward to the thing I really actually am looking forward to because I, ha- like I said, I've been freelancing. So I have done, you know, some normal stuff. I've done a review uh, that was, uh, in my opinion, very funny. And in the opinion of some people on the internet, proof for why I don't deserve to be employed. <laughs> but jokes on uh, them. <laughs> jokes on them, motherfuckers. I'm back. I'm actually very excited uh, for the chance to hopefully be able to start doing some more interviews again. Uh, As we've talked about, uh, like just, you know, off pod, it's a thing that I really enjoy doing. And hopefully I'll have uh, the ability to do more of that, of course, along with all of the other stuff, silly stuff about games, good takes about why video games are bad, actually. Yeah, just just excited generally. Mm -hmm. I will say, I think it's really neat that you're coming back officially now, but so you're going to be able to have a chance to cover some of your, you know, most anticipated games, such as mm-hmm. Dragon's Dogma 2, yes. which is a game I very much have shown no real interest in and don't care about too much. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, I got to play Dragon's Dogma 2 before you mm-hmm. because they had previews in New York and I went and I. I'm so happy for you, Willa. <laughs> I know. I'm so right? glad that you got to play this game mm-hmm. that I've been looking forward to. For literally 10 years and you couldn't care less about that's yeah. exactly how this should have gone and i told you like i told you like two weeks ago when i found out i was going to the preview i said i have something i'm going to in two weeks yes that you're gonna be annoyed about but i'm not gonna mm-hmm. tell you what it is until then i was racking my brain i was like what the fuck is she doing i, I didn't thought... i didn't realize it was gonna be this it's because then they showed it off at tgs and they had demos at tgs and they were like yeah we're gonna bring it to new york so you did let it slip, though. We were talking like the night before and you were like, oh, yeah, in Dragon's Dogma 2, something, something, something. And I was like, yeah. wait, my plan was to bring it up on the pod and like uh-huh. break it to you. But there were there was a caveat there or there was a wrinkle to that plan that got in the way, which was we talk outside of the podcast. Yeah, that too. The, the real problem is that we're friends outside of the podcast. We yes. should stop doing that. But <laughs> it's really bad for the show. Yeah. They had no embargo on the coverage, so I played it, and then I immediately like wrote about it, and the article went up, and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be a way to avoid this. But then we were talking, and we were talking about we were talking about Dragon's Dogma two, and we brought up the stake again. Oh, that's right. And I, without thinking, I was like, Oh my god, I, I should have asked them about that today. And you were like, Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> you were like, Is that what you were playing? And I was like, Yeah absolutely brutal mm-hmm. so you should have asked them about the stake actually i should it have it was a huge misstep on your part so i played an hour of dragon's dogma 2 yeah i did write about it but yeah do you want to ask me things about dragon's dogma 2 yeah how was dragon's dogma 2 it's fine fuck off <laughs> <laughs> um yeah okay uh, i'm so i'm so mad at you i th- um, i i don't know i think Tell me, okay, so you've told me you played as the archer and the fighter, right? Yeah, so essentially I was given an hour and they were like, you can you can try the archer, the fighter, or the thief. 
if you do the fighter and the thief, they start like the preview starts at level 15 and it's mostly just doing like exploration and combat. And if you started the archer, you're going to start at level five in the preview and get some like more story stuff. So I started as the archer and I played that for like 40 minutes and did some story and like a little bit of exploration early on. And then I... I jumped off a bridge at one point because I was like, I wonder if this game has fall damage. Um, <laughs> well, so here's what I knew. I knew the game had fall damage, but I was like, uh-huh. surely if I jump into water, it'll be fine. Of course. And I jumped into water and it was not fine and I died. Famously, no one has ever died from jumping into water. Yeah, exactly. And I, this is such a, this is a tangent. The first one in girl mode history. Yeah, the first one in girl mode history. I was once told by a friend that he likes the tangents. So I was like, well, I just, I'm going to embrace it. Yeah. uh, But I grew up in like the South Bay of California in like on the beach, basically. So I grew up going swimming in the ocean a lot. And we have these, um, these like piers on the beaches. And there's a program called Junior Lifeguards, which is essentially a summer summer program where you like you swim in the ocean a bunch. But when you're uh, when you're a, a cadet, when you're like a lifeguard cadet, which are the higher up ones, one of the things you do is you jump off the ends of the pier into the water. It's like these high mm-hmm. up piers and stuff. I don't know. That makes me think about that because like jumping from high up into the water. Here, let me see if I can find a picture. Yeah, please do. Do do. So that's that's kind of what you do. You just jump off the pier. Wait, wait. Oh wow. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yes. This yeah. is this is very high. I was I was confused about what I was supposed to be picturing as a pier. Yeah. That looks intense. I, so I've I've I never did this, but I've jumped a lot like from high up places into water. So I was thinking I've jumped about a it. lot. And I was like obviously I'm going to apply my real life experience to Dragon's Dogma 2. Yeah. What's the highest place you've ever jumped into from water? Wait, jumped into water from? I think it was in, it was on the island of Capri in Italy when I was a kid. I was like, I must have been like 10 or something. We were on, we were on a family vacation. (laughs) We had very different vacations when we were growing up. I know. We, we, uh, we were at this beach and like, it's, it was a lot of like rocky outcroppings, like cleat, like cliffs, but like everybody's swimming in the water and stuff. And all these like kids are just jumping off the cliffs into the water. And we get there and we like sit down and my family's like, most of them are just sitting, reading or something. And I'm like, I'm going to go swim. And so I just like, I just run up to the cliff and then just without looking, I just jump. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just jumped down. It was very, it was very, very high. I don't know how high it was, but it was pretty high. Uh, it was fun. I liked it. Sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, you know, ripped to my Dragon's Dog with two character, but like I could have done that, you know? Yeah, for Clearly. sure. No, I was I jumped like <laughs> I must have jumped like 10 stories. <laughs> <laughs> it was absurd. And so my character died. And then after that point, I switched to the fighter. <laughs> sure. Good time to do it. I enjoyed the fighter more. Hmm. Um, then the archer, just because the archer, the archer is very useful. I found just because I feel like doing ranged combat in Dragon's Dogma is very helpful for so many enemies. Cause I find so many enemies are like harpies or griffins or, you know, just it's easier to get like to hit them instead of like running mm-hmm. around with your sword. Um, but I found the fighters combat felt better. So that's how I felt about combat mostly. Um, Oh boy, oh boy, do I love climbing on enemies, though. 
Yes. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about this because you mentioned this in your piece that you had a moment of like you climbed on a griffin mm-hmm. and were like fighting it and then it took off into the air, which is yes. something they've been kind of like, you know, talking about a lot in the advertising. And like mm-hmm. that's if anyone isn't aware for whatever reason, like a big part of Dragon's Dogma is climbing these giant enemies. So you can like strike at their weak points. So I'm curious, like how that seemed to have left an impression on you. I'm curious. That, that. was really, really fun. Like I liked that moment. I liked it just makes combat feel more interesting. And it feels like there's so many more possibilities for like emergent moments. I love the idea of just being able to climb on an enemy, it makes combat feel more interesting because it's like, oh, it's not just like you hack and slash. Like if you climb up on an enemy and you're like attacking it on its head or something, you're inflicting more damage. And so there's all these really interesting things. Like um, at one point in the demo, I had to face this like big troll or or giant or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was it was a big enemy. And I like my pawns were attacking it from the front and I just like went around the back and I just started climbing up its leg and then up to Uh the like head. And then I just was like, I was just sitting on its head and just like impaling its skull with the sword. Yeah. The thing I was shocked by is how many enemies were like damaged sponges. Yeah. Cause that, this was insane to me. Like I encountered a griffin once i encountered this troll thing although the troll thing was clearly like a big moment that you were supposed to deal with but like i would just encounter creatures and i would be like i'm gonna fight with them and as opposed to like a traditional action rpg where i'm used to just being like oh i can hack and slash and get through like regular enemies in the world very quickly i found myself spending like minutes on combat encounters which there's something i like about it but i can see that being Mm -hmm. tiresome after a while yeah, that's definitely the case in the first game, too. It can definitely get tiring. I think the the thing that I think is kind of cool about it is selling the difference in both like scale and power between mm-hmm. you and the enemy. Like you have to really work at it. And I think that's where all of these things like climbing and like very, you know, specific like different parts of them doing different damage uh, really come into play. I think it also at least like in like the full like first game kind of encourages you to use more of the tools you have like you have as the archer you can use like specialized arrows that might like blind an enemy or explode or whatever you can throw stuff that will like poison it or whatever and if you use that it's much easier to take things down quickly than if you're just hacking at it and i like having that encouragement to like think a little more creatively and like use the whole toolkit um but there are definitely times when it's just like this is taking like twice as long as it should Something that was also really impressive to me was just more than a lot of games I've ever played, the world itself feels very realized in an interesting way. Like if you go into a city, it feels very populated mm-hmm. and like you can talk to literally anybody and like they're all voiced and they all have like stories that are going on, which I thought was really cool. But in in the same like breath, the world also feels so empty. Uh Like, and I don't know if this, like, I only had an hour with the game. So this probably changes, hopefully, if I'm like, gathering like a bunch of quests to accomplish and stuff. But especially when I was just like walking around the world, I was like, man, this really is just like, I'm just walking through a bunch of places. And like, every once in a while, it's like, eh, just kill these goblins or something. And then you just move on. And it's, I don't know, there's something so empty about it almost. Is that this <laughs> sounds kind of like the essential Dragon's Dogma experience. Like, okay, there. We were talking yesterday about the idea of like going on a journey in a game, 
Yeah. And I feel like something that Dragon's Dogma, like one of the reasons that I really like Dragon's Dogma is it makes me feel like I'm going on a journey. Like it's one of the only games where I have to think I need like of how much food I'm bringing with me, of not overburdening myself with equipment, like bring enough to like make the journey, but not too much of like the route I'm going to take and what I'm going to encounter there. A huge part of the game is just navigating the map and like finding little shortcuts between places. Like it really feels like, and I think that's, I can definitely see why that would be a negative in some people's eyes. But for me, I kind of like, it makes it feel more real that the world is not full of things that are there for you. You're just moving through this enormous space. And sometimes you just walk for like 20 minutes and nothing happens. It was really, really fascinating because like um, when I was playing as the archer and it was like fairly early game, the, the narrative is essentially it's like, hey, you're in Arisen, which this is what I've gathered from the Lord. It's like you're in Arisen and in this like kingdom, the Arisen is the, you know, de facto leader of the kingdom um, is how this like story is working. So they're mm-hmm. essentially like. You you claim to be an arisen. We the like royal guard or whatever. We need to escort you to the capital um, so that we can like figure stuff out because there's also somebody already there who claims they're the arisen and they've been acting as leader. But like there's only one arisen. So, you know, intrigue will ensue. But sure, they're essentially like, cool. I'm glad we found you, but we're going to take you to the capital now. Let's do that. And for the 45 minutes I was the archer, I was just walking from <laughs> where I started towards the capital and I just Uh never got there. And I just looked at the map and I was like, holy shit. Like I may be halfway or something. It was, and there's something really impressive about that, that I do like, because I mean, as, as we'll get into a little bit later as well. Um, I like games that are, you know, do have some kind of friction or they don't feel so streamlined to the point that they're just about, making the player have the most easy experience ever. And it's such a simple thing to be like, you actually just have to traverse this world. And it, it is a real like world. Um, and that was very interesting. And I like that. I, uh, there was another journalist like next to me who was like, is there fast travel? And one of the PR people was like, okay, there's ox carts that you can get in from like one major town to another. And (laughs) this journalist, she did it. She was in it and she was like, is this faster than walking? <laughs> I, and, and she was like, kind of like, oh, I thought it was like fast travel. I'm very interested to see the ox cart stuff. It makes me think of in the original game, there's like a kind of iconic set piece from the game where after you kill a certain monster, you meet a knight named Mercedes, who is my wife. And she is like, OK, we need to es- we're going to escort this monster's corpse to the capital to present to the duke as like a trophy of like the might of the kingdom that was able to bring down this monster and the way that you do that is you meet her on the road where they have this like corpse on the on the ox cart and you escort the cart all the way to the capital and it takes like half an hour and there's just like monsters attacking you on the way and you just have to walk the whole way like make sure that this doesn't get destroyed so I kind of like the idea of them taking that and then turning that into like the fast travel thing where you are like sitting in this cart and maybe shit will attack you and whatever. The way that fast travel, do you know how fast travel worked in the original game? No. The way that fast travel worked was there were two items in the world. One was called a port crystal. And I think the other one was, doesn't matter, some other thing. But you could get one kind of item that you could like place anywhere in the world 
and that would become a fast travel point. And then the other item was a consumable that you had to use to travel there. And there were limited numbers of both of them in the game. But also after you placed like the beacon, like the fast travel point, you could pick it up. So a big part of like deciding how to move the world was where do I put these fast travel points? At what point do I take one from one place and move it to another, like to kind of prioritize where I want to spend time in my map. And also if you use all of your fairy stones, what they were called, if you use all of your fairy stones or ran out, you just don't get to fast travel anymore. That's I actually that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was a fantastic system. There was in in Dark Arisen, which is like the uh, an expansion that kind of became like the de facto version of the game. They added an optional item that was like an infinite fairy stone. So you could fast travel as much as you want. But in the original, before that was added in the original, it was just like you need yeah. to ration these and like decide when you want to do it and when you don't. And I, I think it's a genius system. Yeah. Overall, um, my thoughts on Dragon's Dogma 2 is pretty much all I know of Dragon's Dogma is from you and just from like, this, you know, movement that has happened mainly from like a collective of games journalists who were just in love with this game when it came out and have like made it their job to like praise this game and bring it back into like cultural consciousness. So I have an awareness of it and I have a loose idea of what to expect out of Dragon's Dogma and a loose understanding of what it was like when it came out. And from what I can tell with Dragon's Dogma 2, the development approach was let's not actually change anything about it. Like, let's not change anything about the game. Let's just like fully realize it in a way maybe we couldn't when we made the original. And let's just go with that. And this was kind of my takeaway that I wrote in my in my preview, which is that, you know, Dragon's Dogma has become such a cult hit. And I think a lot of people are always like, you know, it was a game that was ahead of its time. Like, I think you've said this and maybe written about it where you made the argument that like, you know, well, Elden Ring kind of can owe a lot to Dragon's Dogma. And I think so that so there's this idea that like Dragon's Dogma was ahead of its time and maybe its biggest failings were that it couldn't quite realize ambitious goals due to the limitations of like the production at that time and the technology. And it really feels like Capcom's idea of how to make Dragon's Dogma 2 is change nothing, just fully realize it as we initially intended, with the idea that if it was ahead of its time in 2012 and not ready for success, in 2024 or whenever it comes out, the culture is ready. Uh-huh. And now it will just be accepted. So it's like it's kind of their second chance at getting the praise that like everybody now believes the game should have gotten then. Yeah. So one way you could put it is that Dragon's Dogma 2 is 2023's idea of 2012's idea of gaming in 2023. Yes, that is what I that is what I said. <laughs> I just think it's a funny way to put it. It is a funny way to put it. I think it's going to be one of those things where it's like the fans of Dragon's Dogma, like I think you're going to fucking love it. But it's because you know you love Dragon's Dogma, and this is just Dragon's Dogma. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to give people who have just had their ears talked off about Dragon's Dogma, like me, uh -huh. the opportunity to like 
try to fall in love with it the way that like other people did in 2012. Yeah. Which is a weird it's like it's going to it's going to be weird to see how that succeeds if it does. Yeah, totally. I think what's interesting about that is like like you said like it did influence I honestly can't remember like I I know I wrote a piece like about the anniversary of Dragon's Dogma. Yeah. I don't know if I included got the like Elden Ring thing in there. But I think there are games like Elden Ring that did eventually realize things that Dragon Dogma Dragon's Dogma was trying at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think the the goals of games like this, like the things that a lot of games of this size and scope are going for have changed so much since yeah. the original release. It'll be very interesting to see, I think, even if Dragon's Dogma 2 fully succeeds on the things that it's trying to do, if the fact that some of those things have already come to fruition before and the fact that like the, I don't know, ethos of game design has changed so much, if even success in that area looks interesting anymore because it's not a thing that people are like going for anymore that is like might not be impressive on its own um so i think it'll be really interesting to see like if it succeeds if it pulls off everything it's trying to will even that be enough to make it interesting you know it's yeah i'm just i'm very interested to see how it pans out i do think i should play dragon's dogma though i agree i do own it you you convinced me to buy it one time when it was on like super sale on steam yeah, it's often ve- it's often like five dollars. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty pickupable. Yeah, I th- I think you should play it. Maybe we could figure out some way to talk about it. I don't know what venue we would possibly have for that, but if only we either worked together at a video game outlet yeah. or we had a podcast about video games. Yeah, well, the uh, the other thing that I played when I was at the Capcom preview that I think is just mm-hmm. like interesting to touch on very briefly is. I played Resident Evil Village on an iPad, which is this whole thing that Apple announced um, mm-hmm. for the iPhone 15 Pro and and new and current iPads. Uh, I played it. It's so it runs natively. And the thing that I can say about this is the technology is so impressive. Like it is actually astounding playing Resident Evil Village on an iPad because mm-hmm. it's like it shouldn't run this well and it shouldn't look this good for a, you know, small iPad screen running at like 120 frames per second without stuttering. And I maxed out graphics, which is like not too crazy. Like it doesn't look like it would on a PC, but it's like, especially on a screen that small, it looks very good. And you're just playing the goddamn game. (laughs) And it's actually impressive. My, Mm. My one thing was I was like, you know, the Apple, the, the iPads run the M1 chip, which is the same chip in the laptops and some desktop Apple products. So I'm like, this is a v- way more powerful chip. The iPhone 15 Pro is going to be a mobile processor. Going to be very interested to see how this runs on that. But it's also a much smaller screen. So hopefully it evens out. Mm-hmm. There's something to be argued that I think it would make a lot of sense to play something like this on a phone with a backbone. Like for people who don't have a lot of time to game at home, if they were just like, I'm going to play on my commute or something. The thing that I think is going to kill this and realistically, my real my real prediction is that AAA games on iPhones and iPads is going to be dead before it releases is the fact that you have to pay full price. You have to pay AAA prices. So like Resident Evil Village, which is an older game now, it's 40 bucks. Resident Evil 4 Remake is going to be 60 bucks, which is not surprising. That is what a AAA game costs. However, mobile gamers will never pay that much money. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't think anybody's going to convince them to. And I think this is never going to work. Yeah. That's all I really have to say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's yeah, it's going to be a tough sell. Like people have, you know, right, rightly or wrongly got the idea that like mobile games are cheap. Like I, you know, I personally like I don't really buy games on my phone. Like that's just because I have other like ways to play them. But there is sort of this mindset thing where it's just like a phone, a game on your phone shouldn't cost that much. I've also seen people point out that like the new iPhone is like five times the price of a switch. So like it's not going to really convince anyone to go for an iPhone over like a much cheaper phone. Like when you have other options available for you, it's a weird thing for people who already own this phone and like don't have consoles. Maybe like I I'm sure there's some appeal there. Yeah, for me, though, it's very much the same. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's like technologically impressive. I will never experience it, but neat. Yeah. In addition to previews and stuff, I I have been playing a triple A three third person action game. Never thought I'd see the day. I know. I've been playing Assassin's Creed Mirage. Mm-hmm. For context, uh, we are recording on a Sunday. I got the code at midnight on Friday, and then I was out of my apartment all Saturday, (laughs) uh, or except the evening. So I've played like collectively like five to six hours of it now. Um, By the time this comes out, I will have played enough of it to have reviewed it. So we'll see Mm -hmm. how that goes. But I have a lot of opinions already, and a great joy of playing this game was that I got back from like what I was doing all yesterday and I downloaded the game and I called you on discord and I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to stream me playing Assassin's Creed Mirage to you. And oh boy, was that an experience. It Uh, was, I had so much fun watching you play this game. There were two things that were just hilarious, which is (laughs) Mm -hmm. one was I got into combat with a guard and I broke open a cage that had chickens in it. But I had a, I had hit one of the chickens, and so the chicken got mad at me and was attacking me at the same time the guard was attacking me. So I was trying to fight off the guard, and I was fighting the guard, and before I could finish the guard, the chicken got aggressive at the guard, attacked and murdered the guard. <laughs> It was a truly incredible moment to see this chicken just leap up and massacre the guard. And then <sighs> the thing that really broke us was mm-hmm. I finished one of the early missions where it was like, oh, you have to, you know, sneak into this place and retrieve this thing. Now go deliver it to, you know, your assassin mentor or whatever. So uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage takes place in 9th century Baghdad. And one of the centerpieces of architecture is the round city, which is like where the um, like the nobility live. And it's called the round city because it's surrounded by a round wall, uh, which I climbed up on. (laughs) So I was like, this will be an easy way to traverse to where I'm going. And I climbed up on it. And then it's full of guards uh, stationed every so often on the wall. And I just started murdering them all and then i would just keep running along the wall and just murder every guard that i came into contact with and it felt like i was on an endless treadmill where Mm -hmm. i don't know if i actually did get to the point i started but we just kept running for it it was like it was so wild i would just run forward and it was just press rb to kill (laughs) 
you killed like dozens of people in the course of a few minutes. Like, yeah, we were talking so much about like, if you're, I guess if you, if you're fighting somebody and you like knock them off balance or whatever, Mm -hmm. it triggers a thing where there's a little button pop up that says right button kill. And you can just push this button and kill them. And it's just so, it plays this extremely like Mm -hmm. gratuitous animation. There's like my favorite one was where you like run up the person and that kills them. But there were other ones of various ways you can just There's like ones where stab you, like, and impale. Just stab them in the side of the skull. Yeah. And it was like this cumulative effect of us just being like <laughs> so desensitized to like horrible violence over the span of like a couple minutes. And we were both just like, are video games actually bad? <laughs> like, oh my god. This is so much. It's it's so okay. To like take it back a little bit. Assassin's Creed Mirage. The whole thing about it is it's like, I, I talked about it a little bit when I previewed the game. It's a return to form. It's mostly mm-hmm. about stealth and it's going to take place in a smaller map, the city of Baghdad and a little bit of the outskirts. So I've been, I've played like six hours of it at this point, which the game is supposed to be like 15 to 20 hours. And here's what I have to say about it. It is Assassin's Creed and that's it. It's like, mm-hmm. it is exactly the same as Assassin's Creed one and two and all that kind of thing. It has the same fun parts and it has the same bad parts and you know assassin's creed changed its entire structure to be open world rpgs because people were so exhausted by this formula and i think it has not been long enough to not still be exhausted by this formula because it was like fun for like an hour and then i was just like okay i get it like this is kind of ridiculous the story is typical assassin's creed it's a little bit convoluted it has to do with the whole like assassins versus or i guess at this time they're not even called the assassins and they're not called the templars it's the hidden ones versus the order of the ancients Mm. um and they're all fighting over the isu technology that is you know a bunch of deus ex machina stuff it's fine none of it matters none of anything matters in this game and it's just like, it really, I don't, I, I want to be clear. I don't want to hate every game and I don't want to hate yeah. AAA games. But, and the issue is, is like, it's not even that this game is inherently like flawed. It's fine. And it's for this type of game, it's fine. The issue is, is I just think this type of game is so unimaginative. And by that, I mean, the large third-person AAA action game that is so ubiquitous as, like, if you were to say to a random person what is a video game, this is kind of what they would describe. And we were talking about the thing that you said that I was, like, so obsessed with, and I was like, I'm going to steal that for my review, probably. (laughs) So read my review to find out if I did steal it, in fact. Okay, You called it video games as fidget spinner. Oh, Yeah. Even you are like, oh yeah, that was smart. <laughs> that was really. I'm so good at this. You're someone so should. Oh, smart. someone did hire me. Um, you referred to it as like the ultimate like video game as toy, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it feels more like yeah, video game as fidget spinner because it's mindless. It's so mindless, and it's just all there to be this rinse and repeat action that you do so brainlessly, mm-hmm. just to have an activity. Yeah, the way that you were doing it, like that thing you were just describing of going mm. through that like action loop, like really drove home. It's just like, oh, this is like, like obviously that was a like an exaggerated form of it mm. because the way you were playing it. But then even when you got into like 
how the game is supposed to go, it was still essentially the same thing. I was just like repeatedly, repeatedly just hitting this button to impale people. It just like wasn't on a circular track anymore, but it still like was functionally the same. I was thinking about this um, this morning as I played more of it. And after our conversation Mm -hmm. last night, it reminds me a lot of this conversation that has been happening in television lately, where there's this idea of people make pretty like mid shows because they're made to be second screen shows now where it's like they're not really made to be actively watched or cared about they're made to just put on a screen while you do something else Mm -hmm. and i was like it's such a weird idea to think about because games take so much more actual interaction because you have to participate by controlling but i was like if there was like video games as second screen this would be it I mean, yeah, like that's this kind of game feels like that other thing that you're doing while the second screen is happening. Like it isn't its own experience. I mean, and that's kind of like how I was playing it last night. It was like, I just have it on and I can do it pretty brainlessly because I've played an Assassin's Creed game and none of this is really important. And none of the like narrative is complicated enough to like miss anything if I'm just like glancing at the subtitles every now and then. Mm-hmm. And I was really just hanging out with you and chatting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how like I haven't really played Assassin's Creed games. Like I've told I've played a tiny little bit of like mm-hmm. Odyssey and a tiny bit of Valhalla. But even then, like I've and I played, I guess, the like the first or second one. I think I played mm-hmm. like almost all of it. As I was watching, like there wasn't there there wasn't anything that I saw that was like, oh, that's what this game series is about like that's what makes this game interesting like that's the thing i want to like play this game to feel like it seemed like the same loop as like any far cry game or any like just any of these triple a kind of like actiony type games like they all seem to have settled onto the, it's the way that uh all animals eventually evolve into crabs like all triple a <laughs> games eventually become the same formula and it's I don't know, I like I haven't had firsthand experience with one in so long that it was kind of fascinating to see you play mm-hmm. it and like watch how that process like what that process has produced. It's such a like the way I was putting it also is like it's 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 a smooth brain activity. Yeah, like it takes it takes no real active thought or participation on the player despite having to control the game. And then also it's so frictionless. Mm hmm. I mean, I feel like I've talked about this a lot just because I like I do love Yoko Taro games and I've talked about that. But friction doesn't have to mean that a game is bad. Like there are times where there's friction in a game because it's a poor design or something. But like friction in games has purpose and friction in art has purpose to like challenge the audience and make them think about something or approach something in a different way, especially in video games. I think that's true. Like friction in a video game has so much worth and it can be Mm -hmm. used so so well um i mean there's like endless conversations about it but i think it's an easy thing to point out like souls likes they have friction in a lot of ways some use it very well um some less so but the idea of friction has having purpose or yogotaro games where they're narratively friction has a purpose because it's supposed to make you think about like these themes that are going on in context to the gameplay loop and Meanwhile, Assassin's Creed, the gameplay loop is so frictionless to encourage you to not think about anything you're doing, which desensitizes you to this like cartoon level of like violence and and mm-hmm. stuff. 
and it just, you just do it and it, it just, it washes over you and nothing changes. Like it, it has no impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it is a thing that's happening. It's a thing that flows around you. And it's like, I kind of feel bad because like, I'm going to use, I'm, I'm using Assassin's Creed kind of as like this, you know, scapegoat's not the right word, but kind of this like sacrificial lamb to, to show a point. But it's like, the industry is so weird where the, I feel like the most ubiquitous gaming experience is something like this. And what does that say? That, that makes me so upset and it just disappoints me. Yeah. And I had this thought even when I was playing other games in the past couple of years that were like more beloved. Um, like God of War Ragnarok is a game that I think took an interesting game, which was God of War 2018, and turned it into this frictionless mess. Because I felt God of War Ragnarok was a game that was so frictionless and so much just this third person action loop. And it's so weird that these things exist and that this is what most people kind of consume as video games. It is. God, yeah, it is interesting. Like it, it feels like the byproduct of players seeing themselves as consumers before they think of themselves as like an audience for like Mm -hmm. a work right like they want to purchase a product that just delivers them you know enjoyment at a button press and anything that gets in the way of that is seen as a flaw as opposed to uh you know an inherent inherent element of a particular game and so i think there's this weird feedback loop where like a, a big proportion of players who just want that, they give that feedback enough and then developers say, well, okay, well, like, we'll remove that friction. And then developers removing that friction just trains people more and more to expect that, that stuff from every game. Like this kind of game existing isn't a problem. Like if there's this kind of game that is like a, you know, a big and popular for a lot of people, then fine. And then there's another subset of games that's big and popular, like the Souls likes for other people, that's cool too. But the problem is how dominant this kind of philosophy of of frictionlessness has become that like any game that has that friction like yokotar games and things like that they start to feel like there's something wrong with them as opposed to them just being different from the type of games that most people are used to playing and that's i don't know it's just it's a loss it's a loss for the potential of the medium like mm-hmm. these these games are being made that have more interesting things to say but the audience is just kind of like feels like it's dwindling and dwindling i'm so I'm so interested to see specifically where Assassin's Creed goes after this, because I have this thought where it's like, for years, for like a decade, Assassin's Creed had the same loop, where it was that like stealth parkour in a city. And it was just run across things, do checklists, go through it. And then people got so tired of that eventually because it was so frictionless and repetitive. And then also it had seeped into almost every other game, especially in Ubisoft, that they were like, you need to change. So they made open world RPGs, which were different, although I think there's an argument made that it was so interesting that they chose that because they were hopping on the then popular trend that I think came out of The Witcher 3 being so popular. but like they changed the formula and now three, only three entries later, 
Like it's only been Assassin's Creed Origins, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla that have been the open world RPGs. Three entries later, players are already like, we're tired of how repetitive and boring that design is Mm -hmm. that we want to go back to the old type. And I feel like I understand that desire in concept, but now in practice, having like with the experience of playing Assassin's Creed Mirage, just realizing so quickly that it's like, yeah, that is that old experience that we all, including myself, who has probably played every Assassin's Creed game in my head prefers Mm-hmm. Like in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, I prefer the old Assassin's Creed games. Playing Mirage, it is exactly what everybody has asked for. And it's so exhausting, though. And it's like yeah. going forward. I don't know what they do. Do they go back to the open world? Do they do this again? Do they come up with something entirely new? Like, my opinion is they kill the franchise altogether. Like, <laughs> we don't need more. Yeah. Um. But that will never happen because they will sell. Uh, yeah. But it's just so interesting to see how these things just get churned out, it feels like. Mm-hmm. And people keep eating them up. And I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. The world has moved past the need for Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do I do want to bring up something else that we were talking about as you played this last night, though. I think there's a way to take this kind of criticism and turn it into the like sort of capital g gamer discourse of like oh mm-hmm. lazy devs etc cetera, etc cetera. something we were talking about was like uh you mentioned like a really interesting interview you had with the art director i believe or the creative director of the game yeah so i was able to interview the art director and the narrative director of the game and i was i was specifically talking about how interesting my conversation with the art director was just because he was talking about like how deep the team went on recreating Baghdad and recreating the culture and the like most minute details of like, how does architecture work at this time? How does clothing get designed? How as a center of international trade does like do different cultures seep into different areas? And he had like stacks of books on his desk about this. And like I I had said when I was on the like studio tour, I was so curious about what books he had been reading. Mm -hmm. And I showed up to my interview and he was like, are you the one who was asking about the books? Because like apparently one (laughs) of the PR people had told him and he was like, "Okay, here's the books. Here are the first two that I read that were like and he like gave me these lists. And it was so interesting hearing him talk about this. But like, yeah, we were we were talking about this because I had been like, I what is it like to work on one of these games when it from like as a final product perspective, as like an audience and a consumer, it feels like I don't know how you could feel happy being in a position of churning out these games. But then you said what you said, which I thought was like really interesting. Thanks. Which I mean, yeah, it's basically like <laughs> which the, was the the product of the like the way that AAA games are made silos people so much, at least from what I know, obviously I haven't worked in game mm-hmm. dev, but it appears to silo people so much that you can, if you are uh, working on the art team, spend all of your time working on this game, like modeling the clothes, or maybe you're programming certain animations for combat or whatever. If you're on the narrative team, you can go on these deep dives and be like, okay, how do we represent uh, this era of Baghdad accurately? If you're on even like, the more like technical teams of like AI or like some systems, whatever, there's a lot of like work and care and like love that goes into these things. And I think 
if people are able to focus on those small tat like not small but those um very focused tasks that they're doing it makes a lot of sense to me that they could be like oh yeah i did i put this in this game and i worked so hard on it and i know that i did a good job of making this you know these buildings look the way they're supposed to these animations play as they're supposed to and there are a lot of like really genuinely impressive things like we were talking about how good this game looks you know mm-hmm. as you were playing it and it's like there's a lot of things that are impressive uh on the micro scale but on the macro scale when it all comes together that's when you it it sort of brings in the sort of industry-wide uh studio-wide imperatives that no matter how much your individual contribution is like something that you should be proud of and something that is like came together really well it eventually gets crushed into this package that is made to be kind of consumed and tossed away it just feels like a a point where i want to like once again say the thing we always say which is like when we're complaining about like the state of like any given developer we are talking about developer as in ubisoft not developer as in the people working at ubisoft like the people making games want to make games it is not easy to work in games or fun from what i hear they're doing this because they give a shit and the people who don't give a shit are the people who are making decisions at like the executive level and this just feels like i don't know particularly important to bring up right now because it has been a week of like fucking brutal brutal layoffs like truly inhuman decisions by people at the top of of game developers and just seeing I, i don't know especially this maybe feels pertinent for me because i so recently went through this but like seeing hundreds of people on social media saying like with like decades of experience talking about how much they love this thing and all they want to do is get back to it and like that that opportunity has been taken from them by people who only care about maximizing profit and even though their profits are fucking growing it's not growing quite enough for them to be happy so they need to fire people who are actually passionate and who are actually doing good work. Like it just makes me furious. Like it it it's I it does. Like it makes me really mad to see like there are so many thousands of people who have the like skills and the drive to be able to make such incredible things and the best they can hope for is seems to be for for a lot of cases like making something like Assassin's Creed Mirage or any of these like games that you've mentioned god of war ragnarok where there's so much care and so much craft that's going into it and all of those individual contributions are done so well but it's in the service of this larger thing that is meant to make money and to be frictionless and to give the most number of people a pretty pleasant experience and the worst case scenario is that they can't even do that because the people who are in charge of those studios fucking fire them to buy another yacht and it's just i don't know it's it this conversation just like always makes me think of that where it's like damn like if you could if all of this work can go into making something like this like just imagine if that was instead dispersed into studios with more individualistic idea you know more um more specific ideas more things that are just different and out of the mainstream and not following this one specific pattern that AAA seems to have fallen fallen into yeah i don't know it's just like it it's it's just rough to see this happen again and again and again and again in this industry like um yeah obviously all all solidarity with us with everyone who's been affected by these layoffs like um i hope all of them land on their feet as soon as possible and end up working in better places that won't fuck them around and treat them like shit and give them what they deserve
I think there's something to be uh, said also of, because uh, I was just thinking about this, Assassin's Creed and this style has become so ubiquitous, which is why I feel so exhausted by it, which is like why we've had this exhaustive conversation about <laughs> it. But I think it's really interesting to imagine, you know, like Assassin's Creed 1 and like Assassin's Creed 2, there was a like a passionate team behind that who had a vision to make something new and unique that wanted to do it and they made it. The issue is, is that they just managed to make something that turned into such a corporate product over, you know, nearly, I think it's like 15 entries in Assassin's Creed now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, at that point, everybody has been told to adhere to this creative vision of somebody from 2007 who no longer works at Ubisoft and they don't get to make their own choices on making a creative vision. So it's like, it's not even that Assassin's Creed is just inherently bereft of creative, of creativity, because it took someone with a unique creative vision that went against what was happening in games at the time to make it in the first place. It's just that the industry molded to only make, to by and large make that more than a lot of other things. And now those talented teams are forced to adhere to an old creative vision that is now more corporate than anything else. Mm-hmm. And they don't get to make the next great thing. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's sad. It's sad. And it it is unfortunate that like, yeah, like Assassin's Creed was a special thing. It had a viewpoint. It had a mm-hmm. thing it was trying to do that other games weren't doing. And you could point to it and be like, that is what makes this game special. And it feels like that has just been siphoned away by the fact that, you know, you need a re- you need a recipe that you can just keep plugging games into to be able to continue turning obscenely ballooning profits every time. Mm-hmm. So Pokemon's collaborating with Hatsune Miku. <laughs> yeah. There's no good transition. I'm just going into it. I found out about this just because I saw people on my Twitter retweeting these uh, art. Basically, Pokemon is collaborating with Hatsune Miku and they released a bunch of artwork and they're also going to release some music. Uh, The first song is already out. I haven't listened to it, but I have looked at all this artwork. They Mm -hmm. released. What is it? 18 artworks that imagine Hatsune Miku as different Pokemon trainer types. And these are incredible. I love these all so much. They're so (laughs) good. We were like on the phone the other day, literally just being like, oh, this one. I love this one. They look so cool. I have to say, like, okay, my favorite is is Dark, is the Dark type one. Which is like such a Willow pick. You said she's Lady Decoded. (laughs) <laughs> yes, Lady Decoded for sure. She's she's wearing this like super cool. It's almost like a 20s inspired outfit. Mm-hmm. And she's got this baller hat, this wide brimmed hat. And then she's got a, an umbrella that is also a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. She's great. Also the ghost type one. You like the ghost type one as well. I love the ghost type one. She's just like so cute, but so tired. <laughs> Yes, perfect. What an icon. Love her little wisps. Um, they're all they're all so great. I think my favorite one is the ground type. She has like the you know space bugs oh, hair, with the like um, and the uh, like a long cape on. Yeah, she just looks so fucking cool. I mean, these, they're these all are, brilliant. 
you yeah basically what i'm saying is you should just like you should look up the hatsune miku collab we'll put the link in maybe the mm-hmm. show notes but yeah just look at them they're all great they're so fun and colorful and they all have such cool style i'm obsessed with stuff like this yeah there's like so much personality in all of them mm-hmm. it's especially but i really actually really love is that these all come with so these are like there's like various artists that make us they worked with mm-hmm. to like do each design and so there is like a kind of poster style design for each one of them but they all also include these like character sketches and like kind of turnarounds for each little character and it just i don't know it's so it kind of reminds me of like um when final fantasy 14 does weapon design contests yeah like i i love these kind of like schematic drawings they include mm-hmm. so you can really just see like oh here's what this person was thinking about this part like here's here's where this design came from it's just it's so cool to see like all these different artists showcased this mm-hmm. way it's it's just such a cool little project on the other side of Pokemon collabs is the Van Gogh Museum thing that I I was the one who informed you about this. Uh-huh. Um, essentially, there is the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, and they did a collaboration with Pokemon for a Pokemon exhibit, and it included a bunch of special merch that... Mm-hmm had like pokemon cards that were drawn in like the style of van gogh um have you seen like the main card the pikachu yeah the pikachu one where he's like wearing the hat Mm -hmm. so they had all these special uh all these pieces of merch and because we can't have nice things scalpers ruined it Mm -hmm. this is a tiktok that i just sent you robin from I think it was opening oh day of the God. exhibit. Uh, yeah, this, this is the merch uh, store. It's, this shit just makes me fucking sick. Yeah, to so see it's it. basically super, super packed, and everybody's just like, you know, falling over each other to like grab as much merch as they can. Yeah. Um, there is an article up on Polygon from Nicole Carpenter about this, and she's basically reported that Pokemon announced all of the merch has been sold out in the first like day, essentially. And Nicole Carpenter reported that there are now scalpers asking for hundreds of dollars for these mm-hmm. cards, which is absurd. Yeah, this is why we can't have nice it's... things. Granted, if it was a card of the Hatsune Miku trainers, I would pay hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so you're part of the problem. I am part of the problem. No, the thing I did see somebody saying, I, I forget who it was, was like, just don't pay the scalpers. Don't let them win. Like, you might not get the card, but don't pay the scalpers. I think, I mean, yeah, that's just always good advice. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's ever going to be enough to, like, starve them out, but it's just, like, Mm -hmm. just don't fucking support them. These people suck. It's just, I don't know, it feels gross to see, like, these people, like, piling onto each other to, like, make a buck, essentially. It's uh, it's just so, it's so sad. Yeah. That's (laughs) it. All right. It's sad. We're sad this week. We're sad. What else have you been up to this week, though? Yeah, um, one thing that is not making me sad is Cobalt Core. What is uh, this? I've mentioned this to you before. Um, there's a game that I really love called Sunshine Heavy Industries, which is by Rocket Rat Games. Uh, it's a game where you run a shipyard, basically. You're building spaceships and like customers will come in with specifications of what they want and you connect these little rooms together to like build a spaceship that fits that while also like being functional and like fitting all these like parameters that you're given with each level like each challenge it's a really great game with like just a neat just a cool kind of quirky sense of humor it's just very it's very like light and like fun and and just really chill 
and really awesome art as well. And the developer is releasing sometime this year. I don't know what if there's a release date out yet. It's not like you know, set in stone, uh, but a game called Cobalt Core, which you play as like the crew of a spaceship. That's it's a, it's a combat game essentially. This might turn you off, Willa, but it is a like deck building type game. So you you get different. You know, each turn you draw a different card to let you do different things. But I think it does some really interesting stuff with it because you are like you're controlling a ship in this game in combat with another ship. And there are some kind of like uh, FTL ish elements where you can target different parts of the enemy's ship to like disable their cannons or do various things. There's also a really cool element of having to physically move your ship, like using certain cards to like, so you can just literally just move your ship out of the way of any attack and that things won't hit you. Lots of cool ideas that they're playing with here. I got a chance. I played the demo last night, just like through one run. It's just, I don't know. It's like, it feels like if you've played like deck building roguelikes, you kind of know the loop you're getting in for, but it it brings some really interesting ideas for it. It has the same kind of vibe and like sense of humor that Sunshine Heavy Industries does. I don't know. I was looking forward to this game. And after playing it, I'm looking forward to it even more. Uh, I don't have a ton to say. There's like this fairly short demo. It's maybe like 20 minutes, but I think it's going to be out through the end of the Steam Next Fest, which is running from October like 9th to 14th or something like that. So you have a little bit of time to pick it up if it sounds like your thing. Basically, if you're into a turn based combat, I think you should check it out. It does some really, really interesting things with it uh, and has very cute art and fun writing and space furries on top of that like what else what else could you possibly want um it's just it's just a good time i'm really enjoying it mm-hmm. but what have you been up to this week willa so it is the best time of the year in new york mm-hmm. uh it is the ren fair season there are two weekends left in the ren fair and zoe and i go every year it's one of our favorite things so we went this weekend that's what i was doing all of yesterday uh i was telling you about it all like all day mm-hmm. um but so i just love the ren fair so much basically zoe and i got up we got dressed in our adorable you know ren fair attire dresses and corsets and everything uh i wore a cloak to keep warm because it was a little chilly uh we we took a bus up. You take a bus up to Tuxedo Park where the New York Run Fair is. And then we spent the whole day there. It was super nice. I was initially, and I messaged you this because mm-hmm. I had advertised the Ren Fair to you by saying that the best part of the Ren Fair is that every year I go and they have the jousters. And the one who like the person who basically emcees the joust is called Lady Chivalry. And I'm kind of in love with her. Uh, much to the (laughs) chagrin of Zoe, Mm -hmm. but I'm obsessed with this woman. So it's always like, okay, the one time a year I get to see her, but I was very, very scared because we showed up and had been like raining all day before the day before. Um, there's like so much flooding in New York and there was a lot of rain up in Tuxedo Park. And so we get there and they're like, the jousts are canceled today. And I was ready to cry, (laughs) but it was okay because the jousters and the horses were still there. Uh, so instead of doing the jousts, they just like walked around the joust field with their horses and they would just talk to people and let them pet their horses and take pictures and stuff. So I actually got to talk with Lady Chivalry and I got a picture, which I did send to you. You did send to me. I understand your infatuation now. You get it, right? <laughs> yes. I think this is of funny. Course. I've talked with Zoe about this. 
She's like, I think everybody in your friend group knows about Lady Chivalry. Because <laughs> <laughs> somehow she always just comes up in conversation yeah, at one point that. or another. But I, I have this picture and I was telling Zoe, I was like, how much would you hate me if I made this my screen, if, if I made this like my wallpaper? Just for the joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> I haven't. I Did haven't. You? Okay, yet. I was going to say, I thought you were about to show me your phone and it was going to be that picture. The only reason I haven't, story time, the only reason <laughs> I haven't is this is, a, this is my phone oh my wallpaper. <laughs> Do you know what this is? What is your uh, guess? Is that like Zoe's, I don't know, this first is grade Zoe's graduation or whatever? Preschool or kindergarten graduate? Kindergarten? Sure. Kindergarten graduation picture. It's so, so cute. It's just a baby picture of my girlfriend, like as a child in a little graduation cap and gown. <laughs> the thing it's she always points cute. out is her, I don't think you're going to be able to see it, but she has her nails painted red. But yeah, so early on when we were dating, like in our first year of dating, I saw this picture at her house and I took a picture of it and I mm-hmm. made it my wallpaper. It has literally been my wallpaper for the entire time we've been dating, basically, wow. she hates it, and I refuse to change it. <laughs> so that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so yeah, not even Lady Chivalry will take away a cute baby Zoe picture. Damn, and that is <laughs> but, true yeah. love, folks. Mm-hmm. But the Ren Fair was amazing. Uh, we also just walked around, uh, had some snacks. We we got they they sell a blooming onion at the Ren Fair also, which Zoe loves a blooming onion. And sure, we don't really who doesn't. I mean, we don't eat at Outback Steakhouse really, mm-hmm. so we we use this as uh, as an opportunity to eat the blooming onion. Um, we did some shopping. I got a a nice ring from one of the like metal shops, uh, just like this nice silver band kind of that has like the little like little hammer indents on it. Mm-hmm. Um, just this cute little ring. Zoe got this big furry hat. I'm going to show you the hat, actually. Yeah, I want to see. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so cute. It's yeah, good. Hat. It's, it's like adorable. a gnome hat, kind yeah. of. And then you can also you, you wrap it like this. Nice. And it and it protects your neck. I love it. Um, what else did we buy? We bought some candles, which yeah. I showed you. Mm-hmm. Very excited for those. I got to see archery happen. We we got a le- we got a history lesson about like sword fighting, and one of the people who talked about it was another hot woman. Um, Ren Fair is just great if you yeah. like women. So many, so many trans women. Oh my god, Robin! I was telling you, it was great. All all the dolls were out, and I was like, I need to come. <laughs> next year yes visit you, you during the ren do. fair yes that would be so fun come for like a week and mm-hmm. we'll do the ren fair but yeah just a great time i think everybody should go to the ren fair it's so fun get a group of friends go to your local ren fair you can drink you can dress up have a good time do it man it's great wow. sounds amazing <laughs> yeah i mean with that with with the ren fair and the hot mm-hmm. lady night that will be it for episode 48 of Girl Mode. You can listen to Girl Mode wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review us, please. Um, Wait. What? The other thing I've been doing this week, I forgot to mention. What have you been doing? Is listening okay. to Katie Day's new song on repeat. <laughs> Katie Day released a new track off her new album that's coming mm-hmm. out next month. It's called Dawn Service. Uh, go listen to it. 
It fucking rules. I've been listening to it nonstop. I listened to the song so much that I was like singing it in my head. I had my last shift at the coffee shop the other day and I was like singing it in my head and I kept just like accidentally starting to sing it out loud. And my coworker was like, what are you saying to me? Um, it's a great track. KDD fucking rules. Uh, go listen to that song. Thank you very much. But also listen to us and rate and review us. Um, <laughs> you can find us on... <laughs> pretty much every social platform there is some version mm-hmm. of girl mode pod will drop our link tree so you can find all that i am on socials at the willow Row. and i am at robin bombas if you go to the red fair tell the hot lady night to listen to our podcast yeah and if you're the lady night and you're listening hey what's up forget about everything i said about my girlfriend um <laughs> and if you're my girlfriend that? and if you're my girlfriend listening to this I promise I love you. Oh, <laughs> cute. Uh, oh, also send us questions via email or co-host if you'd like us to answer them during our rapidly approaching one year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Email is girlmodepod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, That's a wrap. It. We did it. We did it. Congratulations. I have to go play more Assassin's Creed Mirage now. All right. Have fun. Yeah. Bye. Bye. You are an anonymous kuwaga? Kuwaga is a subspecies of plains zebra, formerly found in vast herds on the Great Plains of South Africa, but now extinct. Sorry, guys. That's, I did, why, that very much depressed me. The last kuwaga was probably killed in the 1870s, and the last captive kuwaga died in an Amsterdam zoo on August 12, 1883, according Ugh. to Smithsonian Magazine. That's so depressing. Rip to real one. God damn. <laughs> oh my god. Shout out to the kuwaga. Yeah. Here, I'm going to sh- I'm going to send you a picture of the kuwaga. You're going to ship me a picture of the kuwaga. I'm going to I'm going to send you a a picture of the kuwaga what am i thinking of it's something else with like a quaw sound but it's supposed to have like a really weird scent oh, i'm thinking of the quoka the quoka the quoka look at this little motherfucker oh my god look at it it's so cute yeah it's like a tiny little kangaroo yeah it really is okay it's a small macropod about the size of a domestic cat i should get a quoka yeah. Well, that concludes Girl Mode's animal portion. <laughs> it absolutely does not. I'm going to read the Wikipedia page for the Quoka. Quoka selfies. In the mid-2010s, Quokas <laughs> earned a reputation on the internet as the world's happiest animals. I don't know why oh I thought God. they smelled. And symbols of positivity as frontal photos of their faces make them appear to be smiling. Parentheses. They do not, in fact, smile in the human sense. This can be attributed to their natural facial structures. Many photos of smiling Quokas have since gone viral, and the Quoka selfie has become a popular social media trend with celebrities such as Chris Helmsworth, Sean Mendez, Margot Robbie... Roger Federer and Kim Dong-yuk of Icon taking part in the activity. Tourist numbers to Rotnest Island have subsequently increased. That sounds like a Dark Souls level, but I'm assuming it's where Quokas live. I also don't smile in the human sense. (laughs) (laughs) Should we record a podcast?
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Should we record a podcast does, about the Quokka? The yeah. Quokka? Does Robin even have time dot is open? Do we think? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> okay, wait. I need to tell you one more fact about Quokkas. Please do. Quokkas have a promiscuous mating system. Oh my God. After a month of gestation, females give birth to a single baby called a joey. Wait. Just like a kangaroo, joey. Okay, I thought they were going to expand on the promiscuous mating system, but they, they do not. They leave it to your imagination. They, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Take it from here, perverts. Oh no, what? I... I'm, out, I'm having complicated feelings about quokas now. When a female quoka with a joey in her pouch is pursued by a predator, she may drop her baby onto the ground. <laughs> joey produces noises which may serve to attract the predator's attention while the mother escapes. <laughs> oh my god. So... Alright, that's enough about quokas. How about we record a podcast?